welcome to this week's episode of Not This, the podcast that seeks to deconstruct fear-based belief patterns and systems with curiosity and love. I'm your host, Tina Marie Olson, and this week's episode is called Beautiful Boundaries. And how do you talk about something that has such a firm definition, a boundary? There's like a strength, but also a rigidity. There's a visual, like a property line that comes to mind. And yet most of the boundaries that we actually interact with on a day-to-day basis are way more fluid than that. They're way more permeable and mutable and movable and spoken and unspoken. Think about the people who you communicate with and flow best with in life. Don't they tend to just have an understanding and there's so much that can be unspoken and that's not to take away being fully seen or having your voice but there's this beautiful fluidity to it. It reminds me of a river. Unless a human becomes involved, a river's boundaries are ever-changing. What are they even made of? Mud, sand, silt, clay? They are being brushed up against by flowing water. And over time, the route naturally changes, leading to different shapes, different access. All of a sudden, a tree's roots will be exposed, or there will be rocks in a place where there wasn't before. It's this fluid, ever-changing aspect of life. And yet, so often when we talk about boundaries, there's this pressure It's, oh, I need to set better boundaries with this person. Yeah, maybe sometimes. But what would happen if we allowed our light, the truth of who we are, to be our leading foot, our leading energy, our leading boundary? What if we spent way more time and energy focused on who we truly are and what is a holy hell yes for us and learning that for others than worrying so much about how to keep other people out. What if beautiful boundaries mean love, trust, connection? What if a boundary is more like holding hands than keeping something out? I hope you join me for this adventure and I am sending you so much love. so glad that you are with me today. We are going to talk about beautiful boundaries. And, you know, that is an alliteration that came to me. I don't remember how long ago, 
but it really helped reframe the whole boundary situation for me because I feel like when people talk about boundaries, there's so much aggression energy and it's like, it's like a base note. It's low laying. It's not the, it's not the pop lyrics. It's not the lead guitar. It's not the drums. It's like hanging out there. So it might not be terribly obvious to people, but I think there's so much around boundaries feeling like they have to be like for somebody who's told they need to work on their boundaries. It feels like you've been told you have a fortress. It needs to be guarded. There are people who are coming to pillage all the time or to try to steal from you or take from you or harm you. And you need to learn how to start standing at the perimeter with a gun. And then you need to get a fence erected. And then outside of that, there's going to be a wall. And then there's going to be a moat. And it just feels so heavy. And it feels so potentially anxiety producing. And then in essence, what you've been told is that you are most likely if you've heard you need better boundaries uh the words codependence have probably entered your sphere at some point in time or you might have the wounded empath perception which is like oh god it is so hard to be an empath i feel people's stuff all the time it's like the weight of the world and Okay, so let me address those two things directly first before we get deeper into boundaries. Empaths, I'm talking to you. And I'm using the word empath as functionally exchangeable or interchangeable with highly sensitive, if you identify with that. So definitionally, we'll go with for highly sensitive, It's around literal sensory perception. And so what the scientifically proven genetic trait is, is that there are a certain percentage of human beings, I think greater than 10, but not greater than 20, I think, but does it really matter? No. Who come into this world with heightened sensory perception, meaning... They are taking in more input in each and every moment from their external environment than the rest of the population. So if you're sitting in your house like I am right now, I'm highly aware that my refrigerator is making noises. I'm highly aware of the fact that there's a bright light on in my kitchen and wondering why the heck I didn't turn it off. I'm looking around at the stuff that isn't put away and it kind of creates a sense of like, oh, there's a lot of stuff around. You know, there's like, there's this awareness and it doesn't only have to do with emotions and it also has to do with emotions, right? So the awareness because emotion is just energy in motion, if you're more aware of bright lights or of sounds or of 
things around your external environment, inherently other people's emotions are a part of those stimuli that you're going to be aware of. And so that's when it can feel heavy and hard, right? So you walk into a room, let's say it's a work meeting and it's tense and there's 10 people sitting in the room and a bunch of people have had a meeting before the meeting and they're already aware of what's going to happen in the meeting and what's going to happen in the meeting is you're going to be laying people off. You're going to be feeling everyone's emotion in that room from the perspective that they're already aware of, plus you're going to be feeling all of the potential, you're going to be empathizing with all the potential emotions, easy to feel into those of all the people affected by this decision. And all of that can feel super overwhelming when all of that hasn't yet gotten the rightful place in your being that it deserves of being considered a superpower. And it's a journey. It's not a light switch from overwhelming to superpower. But I'm going to venture to say, and this is just, this is unfounded. This is just a sense that anything that has greatly overwhelmed us is probably a part of our superpower. Because at the end of the day, the universe is trying to get us our attention in a value neutral way. Like, the universe doesn't avoid pain on my behalf. That's a human thing, right? The, the universe also doesn't like withhold joy or happiness or connection. That's also a human thing. The universe is just sending us experiences and options, and we're the ones who are assigning value to it. And so... Where I'm going with all of that is it's a journey from a perspective of, hey, feeling things to a greater degree is intense, overwhelming, anxiety producing, to, wow, I get to experience life in Technicolor. I get to be the first one to know how someone is feeling and thus connect with him deeply on a level that is super nourishing to both of us. Do you see where I'm going with this? So these things that we have inherent to who we are, so we talk about in human design that we are one human being in seven plus billion pieces, and each and every one of us is a perfect piece of the puzzle. Each and every one of us came with the gifts, came with the perspective, came with the understanding that's going to be most helpful to us on our journeys to play the role that we were meant to play. So the way that we came is inherently perfect. Life experiences conditioning from our families, from people we were around a lot as kids, from societal, cultural norms and expectations, and whether that's like 
you might have a cultural identification of a different country or a different ethnicity than just quote unquote like typical American culture, whatever that is defined as. So you might have multiple layers of this, right? Because you're getting advertised things. You're getting told. And this stuff is insidious. I mean, when we talk about like beauty standards and well, why does that even matter? Oh, because there's like some hardcore beliefs in the collective water that you have to look a certain way or that being younger is better and that in order to be desirable you have to like somehow be able to freeze the clock around I don't know what is it like somewhere around 30 I don't even know is that too old I don't know it's crazy right it's batshit and then we wonder why we're like starving for depth of wisdom well we've basically like tossed elders and their wisdom to the side as a value and so then like when we actually do come across people who've lived their lives they've done all these amazing things they've had all these incredibly interesting experiences and now they're somewhere in their quote-unquote golden years and you come across somebody who's wise or joyful or playful or still has childlike wonder and awe it's like everyone pays attention right because it's so rare that's that's like the energy that we want to be and yet We've done so much to put so much heavy, dense, should, bullshit energy on top of the truth of who we are that then like everything gets warped. And what the hell does all of this have to do with boundaries? Okay, so today's discussion is going to be largely focused on the cultural ways in which we've created a situation where even having to articulate and understand what quote-unquote healthy boundaries, I'm going with beautiful boundaries, that's my unity consciousness word for it, even has to be articulated in this way is like so off, right? Because if we were aligned and living as our true soul selves here on earth and supporting that within ourselves and others, boundaries might not even have a word. The best squirrel just cruised by on the power line right next to the window. It happens to be a black squirrel, which is a uh, novelty here in Chicago. I had never seen a black squirrel in California and it was lightly snowing right now. It looks like it's, I guess it might still be classified as snow. I don't know if it's rain, but like the way it's little claws hung around the 
wire and like the drips fell off. I love the fact that, you know, people call getting distracted. Oh, this <laughs> I'm loving today's episode already. We're going in so many different directions and it's perfect. People call getting distracted like the, they'll use the term. They'll go squirrel, you know, because like that's what a dog will do. <laughs> And I, most of the time that I'm distracted, it's by squirrels. So it's just like perfect. Well, I mean, let's be real. I'm, I'm a lab puppy. Like what else do you want from me? Of course, I'm going to be distracted by the squirrels. They're the damn best. Oh, that actually leads me to one other thing. And people who are listening and identifying with being told that their, you know, empath or highly sensitive nature is, you know, a backpack of heaviness to be wearing, being told that there was codependence somewhere or um, that they needed to strengthen their boundaries. I wouldn't be surprised if there's also some decent crossover here with people who've been told that they have some sort of attention difficulties. There are so many types of people where being what others might call distractible is actually built into the design. Manifesting generators, Kelsey says they bounce from three to blue to Z to peach to squirrel. They don't go one, two, three, four. They're all over the place. So if you're a manifesting generator, full permission to go with where your energy flows. And oh, by the way, anybody else who needs full permission to go with where your energy flows? Full permission. I am not a manifesting generator. I'm a generator. And I have four arrows that face right. And if you're like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, I'll link it in the show notes. Inspiration Station with Kelsey and Tina on YouTube. We talk through a bunch of high-level human design stuff in videos, in digestible format. Kelsey has a bunch of podcast episodes on the Find Your Awesome podcast going into this stuff. So my four right-facing arrows mean I'm here for the flow. I'm not here for the structure. And guess what? Two minutes ago, when you all had to hear about my fantastic squirrel outside the window, that was what was in flow for me. So if I try to cut that impulse off, I am inherently also cutting off life force energy. And this is all related because here's the punchline. If you only listen to one thing in this podcast and then you're like, I can't take how all over the place she is, (laughs) listen to this. When you are super strong in knowing who you are, from a soul perspective and you are shining that light out into the world with each and every step in alignment, in your truth, in love, in play, in joy, however you like to describe your true soul self, boundaries take care of themselves. Does it mean that it's easy or it's going to feel easy to have a conversation with somebody about 
the fact that something doesn't feel in flow or right to you that they're wanting from you? No. It might not. It might feel easy because you might be so aligned that you can say it to them in a super loving place from a super loving place because there's no part of you that's defensive. It's simply like I love you and I can't give you what I'm at, what you're asking for right now. So let's find a creative solution or maybe a creative solution isn't necessary. Maybe they just invited you to something and it's not for you. But when we are living in that place of love and alignment and truth, our boundaries become simply the description of the intersection of the exterior portion of ourselves, our, our beaming self out into the world, our aura, if you will. I'm sure there's other better ways to describe this too, but if you picture yourself, your body as the center, the most dense part of your expression, and then there's you that radiates out from that, right? Like they say... They've measured the electromagnetic field of the heart. It goes out about 20 feet. So let's just use that. And that's the portion that goes out the farthest. So let's use that and come up with a little mental diagram where you can draw this. You are in the middle of that. It's almost like your own solar system or something. You're in the middle of it. And your electromagnetic field goes out potentially 20 feet. When you are radiating your true self and you are letting your heart energy lead then it's like everything between that 20-foot edge and who you are in a physical body, all of that is like strong, it's grounded, it's truth, it's aligned. And of course, you could imagine that like if you just take your hands and you rub them together for a moment... And then you feel the energy between the two of them. Maybe you can only feel them like a half inch apart from each other. But nevertheless, they're not touching. You can still feel them. Maybe you can open your hands and you could still feel their fields three inches. Maybe you could feel it a foot. I don't know. But you see where I'm going here, right? So when we're super aligned, confident, secure within ourselves, who we are, who we came here to be, then so much of that radiates out. It's almost like inherently stuff doesn't come into that field that really isn't for you. And I'm not saying that means you're never going to get an invitation to a party that you really just don't want to go to. (laughs) But I'm saying like boundaries don't become this sword fight that you're having to stand outside of yourself and whip this sword around (laughs) all the time in order to keep all this stuff clear, right? It's like there's just kind of this natural, think about it this way. So let's say you are thinking about inviting someone somewhere. Before you even text or call, if you spent a moment 
feeling into whether or not it feels right to invite them, you already have feedback. And yet you haven't done anything. You haven't actually asked them, but you already have a sense of whether or not it's a good idea, right? Like that's something we just take for granted. We use that all the time. What do you think that is? That's their field telling, giving you some amount of information. As soon as you tuned into thinking about them, their field is giving you some amount of information. Magic, right? So to me, that's the definition of a beautiful boundary. One that, so I'm calling this the unity consciousness version of boundary, which means my field is so strong in who I truly am, in my puzzle piece, that I sit here in the puzzle completely accepting of the and, and enjoying interlocking in the puzzle pieces that are around me. And I also just know if you're actually doing a puzzle and you try to put a piece in the totally wrong place, you're either going to see it visually, like the colors are, aren't going to be right, the picture's not going to match up, or you're going to see it in the little knobby things, right? Same thing, same, same, (laughs) same. So that's the unity consciousness version of boundaries is that we are all so lit up in who we truly are that everything else takes care of itself and that any conversation we may need to have with somebody about how we or they is showing up or whether or not we want to go somewhere or do something comes from a place of pure love and acceptance and openness and curiosity. So this is taking us to the bridge. Okay, and so this analogy of the bridge, take it back if you've heard other episodes where I've used it. This can be a refresher or a repeat, and if you haven't, I'll go through it quickly. So what I'm saying here is that what we are currently calling quote-unquote 2020 or the pandemic or how life is right now, I'm calling it the Great Awakening. And that's not to bypass that a lot of it feels like shit for a lot of people and can be very overwhelming and destabilizing, all the things. I get it. I've been through it, kids. I get it, and I love you, and keep going, and take good care of yourself along the way, every step of the way. So in this great awakening, for the people who are really, really feeling crunched right now, stressed, overwhelmed, just like overwhelmed with suffering, I say those people are sitting at the toll plaza waiting to pay the toll. It's a huge traffic jam. For every additional thing that happens that feels like, oh my God, one more thing. I don't know if I can handle it. It's like a car in lane three. Three cars from the toll booth just lit fire. (laughs) Shit. Now we're all going to have to kind of move to the side and squish together so the fire trucks can get through. How much longer is this going to take? There's a lot of chaos at the toll plaza. It's heavy, heavy, heavy traffic. There's a ton of lanes merging and everyone is stuck. I have literally been 
on the Bay Bridge toll plaza where there's so much traffic, people are like outside of their car dancing. <laughs> it's like that. Um, except some people are road raging and honking and some people are dancing, right? Okay, so if you're in that place right now, I love you. And just be super duper gentle with yourself because patience is key. There's nothing you can do to speed up the process. There's nothing you can do to change when schools are open again. And when I say nothing, I don't mean that from a victim-y standpoint. I don't mean like don't show up at the PTA meeting or send the email or whatever if you can advocate for what you feel is best for your family and your kids and your community. I don't mean that. What I do mean is settling into being patient and letting the process play itself out. Most of what's going on right now on a large landscape isn't able to be changed by one person. So stay in your role. Stay in your lane. It's like the people who are at the toll plaza in these traffic situations and they keep just trying to change lanes. Like, it's not going to get you there any sooner. And sometimes if I've been that person who's kept trying to change lanes, it's like Murphy's Law that all of a sudden the lane you just changed out of starts moving again, right? But what you can do if you're in that place of suffering is start to work on all the stuff inside. So the analogy here would be if you're in a car full, let's say you're in the car with your family stuck in the toll plaza, you could start playing 20 questions. You could start making up stories. You could start doing improv. You could have a family dance party. Like there's plenty of things you could do in your car instead of like yelling at everybody outside of the car who's also stuck, right? So that analogy might be how do we work on our family dynamic? And maybe even more importantly, it, it very well might be, how do I work on me? How do I work on my internals? How do I work on the energy? Wayne Dyer said, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> Miraculous, really. And when you squeeze a human, whatever's in that human is what comes out right? So what's happening when you get squeezed these days? Is it stress? Is it tears? Is it anger and rage? Is it intolerance or impatience? Those energies were not inspired by the external events. They were inspired to come out because of the squeezing, but they were what's inside. So it helps so much to find a coach, a therapist, a healer, an online course. I have Path of Joy that enables profound transformation. It's 55 bucks. It's less than 20 minutes a day, but you can make it exactly what you want it to be. There are so many possibilities of how to change what's inside. And that's the very first step. Like we don't even need to hardly talk about boundaries when you're in that toll plaza. Other than lock your doors. 
And if somebody's walking up to your car and, and it doesn't feel like good vibes, roll up your windows. So boundaries at that stage, because we're so unsure of who we truly are and because of what's coming out of us is stress or anger or impatience, boundaries at that stage do look like kind of blanket statements. They do look maybe even a little bit harsh because there's no extra energy at that stage. You're so far from knowing who you truly are that moving beautifully with a boundary isn't really possible. So setting the boundary that you can set when you need to set it is a great first step. When somebody says, hey, I want to have you come over and I'm going to have 20 people over and you're like, that's not Corona safe. That's not what's best for my family. You can just simply say, no, thank you. So in the toll plaza, I guess what I'm saying is more rigidity. And why would rigidity be the answer when you're in a place of suffering, anger, whatever? Well, most of that has probably come from being in a place of huge disempowerment prior to now. So sometimes the first most powerful step outside of disempowerment and into a way of being that is more empowered might be a little bit clumsier, a little bit more direct. And do I mean that directness is clumsy? No, and when you get to a place of beautiful boundaries, it's far less often that you have to pull out the like kind of harshest, most direct nose. And of course, I'm leaving like somebody comes up to you and tries to mug you or walks up to you in public and starts berating you and you don't even know this human being. Like, no, no, no. We save harsh boundaries. Like, we reserve the right to use our strength, our voice, our no. For all of those situations, all the inappropriateness. And sometimes what surprises me, because I'm lucky enough to have not grown up in a family of violence, if you have and you're still unsure of whether or not it's okay to say to somebody who wants to be physically or most emotionally abusive towards you, just a flat out really harsh no yeah, it's okay, 100% of the time, and you don't need my permission. I have a distinct feeling that you know deep down how you're supposed to be treated. And all of us expect nothing less of you than to speak your truth about what's okay and what's not okay about how you're treated. And I trust that you are healing through the aspects of self that tell you that it was ever okay that somebody treated you that way. It may have been a very beautiful way to cope as a child 
with a circumstance where there was abuse and also it was in your own household or your own family and that's where you got your food and your shelter. Kids have to cope with some awful things. And if that was you, I am sending you huge love and healing. And I trust in your no. And every time you use it, you are being so brave. And keep going with your healing. So now we're on the bridge. And the bridge is... We're no longer stuck in suffering only. We have at least glimpses, if not major periods of time, where we see wisdom and truth. We know we're headed somewhere. We know we're on a soul journey. We know we're on a trajectory. And we might not be completely comfortable and confident with exactly who we are yet. We're building that muscle. We're building that space of 20 feet between our body and the outside world. And oh, by the way, that space of 20 feet is just mirrored from what's inside, right? So really, we're building the inside. And letting that beautiful boundary start to create itself, right? So there's going to be moments where we question ourselves. We're not so sure we might go back old into old patterns and coping mechanisms and tendencies. That's fine. It's human. It's part of the process. There's not a switch. If you've ever been on a bridge that both has a toll plaza and then also has metering lights, what you know is that paying your toll doesn't just mean the traffic is over. (laughs) Paying your toll is like the first step. And then there's the metering lights. And then all the lanes that expanded into toll plazas condensed back down into however many lanes are going across the bridge. And then, oh, by the way, depending on how backed up the exits are getting off the bridge, there might be traffic all along, right? So there's probably more flow once you're on the bridge. But all of a sudden, a car can slam on their brakes. And then all of a sudden, you feel stopped again. So that's normal bridge behavior. (laughs) It's normal as you're on this bridge to unity consciousness. It's normal to be experiencing all of it. And we're human. So even when we're in unity consciousness, even when we're firmly grounded there, we're still going to find aspects to heal, resolve, and expand into. We're still going to find more ways to be more completely and fully our soul selves, which is amazing. And it keeps life and the journey really fucking fascinating and so joyful. So on this bridge, you're going to be experiencing more permeable boundaries, more ability to flow in and out of co-creation with other humans, And you're also going to have times where you start to see clearly that things before that didn't come into the category of like, oh, yeah, that's a hell no, I would never let that happen. Let's say like physical or like blatant emotional abuse. But now you're going to start saying things that are also a holy hell no, that you're realizing were just patterns that you were that were never okay with you, but that you were engaged in out of fear out of beliefs in the subconscious that thought they were keeping you safe, but really they were contributing to some degree 
of perpetual misery. Because in any moment that we are not fully and completely aligned with our soul selves, we are not running full life force energy through us. And therefore, we are experiencing some degree of soul misery or weariness. Now, that might only be a few percentage points. It might run high. I ran the first 33 years of my life with a really exhausted human because I was exhausting my soul. I wasn't listening. I was conditioned. I was miserable. I was talking myself out of misery, trying to like sugarcoat it. That's not gratitude, by the way. Sugarcoating misery isn't the same as gratitude. Gratitude is the squirrel fucking ran by and I got to see it. You hear that joy in my voice. I am so grateful for that. Gratitude is not, well, it could be worse. You with me here? I can think of so many people I know who are in the misery cycle. And they're so scared because they don't know what to do or how to get out. You don't know, need to know what to do or how to get out. You need to know what questions to ask. And the questions can come from your soul. The questions can come from your being onto a piece of paper, from your being out loud, from your being as a voice text or what might almost feel like a confessional to an enlightened friend. I mean, the key here is to not ask these questions two things. Don't ask the questions of somebody else who's also playing the game with misery and rolling the dice and soul weary. And number two, when the questions do come out, don't give them a temporary fix and run and hide again. Let them start you on a journey. So when you're in this bridge, boundaries, beautiful creation space where you don't yet have your whole light and your whole being just saying your yeses and nos for you, but you also know that it's not about standing around the edge with a gun and a moat and a, and a wall, You get to play. You get to experience. You get to watch. You get to be the observer in your own life. I have spent so long on my journey thinking I could make a wrong move. And no matter how many times I said, I know, I consciously know I can't make a wrong move, I was terrified. Because when my awakening happened, aka Dark Night of the Soul, over and over again. <laughs> I felt like my soul was bringing up all this stuff and like my human self was kind of ducking and covering. I mean, I was doing the work, but I was also like, part of the reason I was doing the work is I was like, I don't want to have another boulder shot at me. <laughs> it's normal. It's normal. And what I can tell you right now is you can't make a wrong move because from each and everything you do, for every step you take, 
or every offering that the universe gives you. And by offering, I don't mean some big grand gesture. I don't mean that like some miracle has to walk into your front door, although we invite that lovingly, willingly, excitedly. It might be as simple as like the offering is yogurt or oatmeal for breakfast. And I get it that it feels like, oh, that's so simple. I know I can't make a wrong move with that. Well, yeah, but if we don't practice with things that feel super doable, then how do we ever consciously remember that when things start to get bigger, we still can't make a wrong move? It's still all part of the learning process. It's actually why I have a big issue with the word failure. Yes, I know a lot of people have redefined the word failure and they understand it to be a part of the learning experience, but why are we even using that word that's so loaded anyway? Why don't we see it just all as a part of the experience, all as a part of this buffet of life that's offering us yeses and noes and we get to be on board and we get to trust and we get to give our human selves so much grace. I kind of knew when I was going to talk about beautiful boundaries that a lot of it wouldn't be about boundaries. I don't, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say for an hour about boundaries. But here's the thing, like boundaries are the result. They're not the destination. They're not even the journey. They're just an aspect of how we interact with the world. How we come face to face with the things that do cause us to question, I don't know which way I want to go in this fork. Or... I do know, and it's really important to me to preserve the love, the connection in this relationship, and I have a feeling I might be disappointing this person. So that's the energy to focus on the intention of going in the conversation. The goal isn't that I walk out of the conversation and I successfully got my no across. The goal is to be the love to be a beautiful communicator, to not over-talk and over-explain because you've assumed that someone else is going to feel a certain way. Let them have their own feelings, but then be there to listen. Because no matter what they feel, it's not your fault. You're just being a part of the stream of consciousness that is asking to come through you. And guess what? Not everything can come through us. A lot of things aren't meant for us. And that's beautiful too. I love you so much. 